able to the right hand, puts Herb down, he's gonna dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I'd been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. 10-1-9-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-
a new picture today. Rick Rippin. We've had Brennan Detloff, Matthew Lazinski, Ryan, Ryan Donaldson. They're still here. They're not going anywhere. Uh, this is what we do. We honor those that we have lost. We got new red hats, puck support. Of course, the red and white. Who do you think I got in my hat this time? Big Bob. That's right. Where I got my shirt tonight. Preston Grant. Ranging from former NHLers to minor hockey players, junior hockey players. If I have anything to do with it, they will never, ever be forgotten. We're going to get into a sponsor here. We'll see you in a few seconds. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. TeamIssued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you, Regan Bartell, out there in Kelowna. And speaking of Kelowna, unfortunately, I have some bad news to break to everybody. Uh, Kevin Kerbison was supposed to be getting on a plane out here uh, to go to treatment. And unfortunately, Kevin was at the airport and he missed his flight. I got a call from his mom. I've talked to Kevin. This happened just minutes ago. We are currently working. I know Jim Thompson's trying to get a hold of Kevin right now. His mom's gone back to the airport to pick him up with his dad and Listen, I'm not giving up on you, Kev. Uh, none of us are going to give up on you. There's a lot of flights that leave to Toronto. And when that time comes, hopefully in the next day or two, I will be there with open arms to greet you. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who supported uh, our efforts to get him here. We're not giving up on him. It's going to happen. If I have to go out there myself and pick him up, I will. Mark my words. You guys know I'm crazy. That's not crazy. That's what you do for a teammate, a friend. And sometimes we have to do what it takes. That's right. One more sponsor. We're going to get right in to the episode. Pocket to Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to Aubrey at PrideTape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. All right. Uh, thank you to Jeff and everybody at PrideTape. We're going to give away a couple rolls later in the show, uh, but I want to get to the interview. My guest, his time is valuable. He was trying to downplay it when I was just talking to him in the in the green room. This is my green room. I'm not a, I don't have a professional studio or any rooms for my guests to come in. Not yet, but who who knows? That may change. Uh, but his time is valuable. I know a lot of people are excited about this one, as am I. 
Uh, you guys know how this works if you've watched the show. Uh, but before we do, I'll give a quick shout out to the girls out there in Gananoque. I know some of them live in Brockville. Uh, the Gananoque U15 girls. We're going to name them all at the end, but I know they're all watching. Hello, girls. Keep up the good work. Hello to Will McIntyre. And a big shout out to Corey O'Connor, who's going through the fight of his life right now. Corey, we're with you. I know you're uh, going through treatment in the hospital. And to all the kids, Corey's kids, we're with you. And if there's anything we can do, we'll certainly do it for you. We'll see you guys in a few minutes. Well, today's episode is a big one, no doubt. Most people know that my podcast is based around hockey, mental health, and addiction. We cover other topics along the way, but primarily, those are the topics that we like to discuss. And today's guest is one of the leaders in the field of mental health awareness. Not to mention, he's been on TSN since before I was even born. Sorry, Michael, I'm not trying to age you. Plus, you look younger than I do anyways. Michael Landsberg has been with TSN since his initial inception back in 1984. He recorded over 5,000 episodes as the lead anchor on TSN's Sports Desk. And from there, he moved on to one of my favorite shows of all times, Off the Record. It was a staple in my living room for so many years. Living back in BC with the three-hour time difference, it was on every day after school. And I know it wasn't just me who watched it because I've had several former teammates and friends reach out over the past week to share stories of how they did the exact same thing. Landsberg's career has spanned over 35 years. But what a lot of people didn't know that during a lot of that time, he was living with a dark secret. He was living with depression. And it wasn't until an episode of Off the Record with a former NHLer, Stefan Richet, that his life would change forever. For me, one of the things that defined me, a defining moment for a guy that speaks out about his own struggles with mental illness, depression, and anxiety, was the first time I ever talked about it publicly. And then one day we had Stefan Richet as a guest on OTR. I'd never met him before. And we were in the green room. And I said to him, Stefan, I want to ask you a question about your struggles with depression. I know you haven't talked about it on television, but I want to ask you, and I think that people will be really interested. And I said to him, when I ask you, I will throw it out and say, I too have struggled. And he thought about it and he thought about it. And finally, he, in a very soft voice, said, yes. We went on the air. We talked for maybe 90 seconds, two minutes about it. And I, I have to admit, I, I didn't give it a second thought. And then when the show went to air, instantly there were emails in the inbox for the show. And these weren't the normal You Suck Landsberg emails. These were the most profound, the most sensitive, the most heartfelt stuff I'd ever seen. To a letter, they all said the same thing. You know, hearing two guys, two relatively normal guys, speak about their own struggles. They weren't ashamed. They weren't embarrassed. People said over and over again, it changed my life to hear you guys talking about it. I've never shared this with anyone. So over and over again, I read that and I thought to myself, the impact is amazing. And a year later, I heard from an individual who I responded to back and forth. And he told me that because I emailed him encouragement, he took the belt down from the hook that he had put in his closet. And he had decided at that point, I'm not going to hang myself. I'm going to try and get help tomorrow. And he said that was a year ago. And now I live a happy life. I'm Michael Landsberg, and that's my defining moment. The stigma of mental health still has a long ways to go, 
but it's come a long way. And a big reason for that here in Canada, and especially in the sports world, is a direct result of all the hard work and compassion of Michael Landsberg. His advocacy and hard work has been recognized, and he has received several awards, including back in 2017 when he was awarded the Meritus Service Medal for his mental health advocacy, which was presented by the Governor General of Canada. It would take me all day to go through all of his accolades and all the recognition he truly deserves. I've had a lot of fun doing these podcasts where I've interviewed Hockey Hall of Famers and some of my idols. And today I might just be a little more nervous than I've ever been before. Earlier today, I watched Landsberg's documentary, Darkness and Hope, Depression, Sports, and Me, which earned a Canadian Screen Award nomination back in 2013. And I strongly suggest everybody watch it. These days, I catch Landsberg on first up with former pro hockey player Carlo Koliakovo, and I always make sure to get my daily dose of Lands Blog, a short segment that he does every single day, 364 days a year, helping to end the stigma of mental health and supporting those who need it. So without further ado, here he is, the man, the myth, the legend, Michael Landsberg. This is my fight song. Take back What's going on? Dude, I have to tell you, uh, God, I hate hearing about myself. Oh, my God. You know, okay, can I turn it down? But if I turn it down, I'm not going to know when you're going to me. But it's, you, you know, I've just never gotten comfortable with uh, just, you know, with anything that even resembles praise. I can give out praise. I can tell you that I loved your intro. I can tell you what you're doing is making a huge difference. But God, if you tell me anything like that, I just, I find it really hard to accept. So I will just say this. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for having me on the show and all of those kind words. And you need to relax because this is going to be, I promise you, the easiest interview that you're ever going to do. So um, just uh, just team me up. I'm wound up. I'm ready to go. Well, hey, man, thanks. First off, thanks for doing this. And uh, I mentioned earlier, like, I can't tell you, you know, growing up in Vancouver, I come home from school and, you know, turn the TV on after I get a snack. And there you were every single day like monday to friday and it's uh it's just been a wild ride so to see you on the other side i really appreciate it man you know off the record was uh i i, I kind of think that uh, i probably had the best experience of anybody who works in canadian television like i i could sit here we did we did about 3900 shows uh wow. and and i i could sit here and i could tell you stories about famous guests because we put on not just not just athletes and and coaches and general managers but we put on actors like vin diesel and musicians like pink and and like this great we put on porn stars and like we put on anyone that we thought you would turn on your television and go oh that's pretty cool so i met this incredible cross-section of people what a blessing that was and you know i i just uh you know i i'm lucky in that i was able to use that to kind of tell my story about mental illness and what you talked about uh well i guess it was me talking about it uh you know that that really changed um, the direction of my life is like I was going like this and then Stefan Richer is a guest on off the record and I realized that he suffers from depression so now I start to turn and I say to him in the green room hey can you come outside for a second and I say is it okay if I ask you about your mental illness and he says well I'd rather not talk about it so now we're back to going in this direction and then I say well you know if you'll talk about it I'll talk about it and he said you and I said yeah me he goes no way not you 
which is classic for depression. If you don't look like you're the depressed person, people don't believe it. So he said, okay. And we went on the air, like I said, and we talked about it for maybe 90 seconds. And then after the show, I started getting emails from people. And that is why you and I are talking tonight, because I found out that it was so incredibly easy for me. Like none of this is, oh my gosh, like you, you know, you, I told that story about this guy who was watching, his name is Tyson Williams from North Battleford, Saskatchewan, which is weird because he's from the same place as Wade Belak, my buddy, who I'm sure I tried to see on your picture. I'm sure he's on the picture, but you know, none of that. Um, he's right above Rip in there in the bottom corner. And it's interesting. Sorry to cut you off. It's interesting yeah, no. that you say that it was going to be uh, Wade Belak. And as soon as I put Rip up there and I, and I, 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 played against rip I, I love rip but as soon as i put it up there i said to susan who's upstairs i was like ah i, I think it should be belak on there but then it was like time to go live and so it's interesting that you said that but yes he's in there he's right above rip on the right hand side there and he's on our clothing so all of the clothing here at puck support all the different things what we do is we have a, a in, in memory of you know tonight's yeah, love that probert and uh, you know the probert family has been so supportive danny and uh, she promised me I get to ride Bob Probert's Harley in the Bob Probert Mor Memorial Ride if I get my license and stuff. So it's uh, been a wild ride, man. Bob uh, Bob Probert, I had never met him when he played, and he came in to do off the record, and it was it was it was just so classic of tough guys and fighters. There are, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people in my life, and I have never met a tough guy, a fighter, an enforcer, a guy whose job it was to stick up for his teammates. I never met one that I didn't like. I never met one that I didn't think was really well-spoken. And Bob Probert like, was like, holy shit, this is an awesome guy. Like I remember he came in with his brother and first of all, he was really happy to be there. I kept saying, hey, thanks for putting me on the show. And I thought, well, you're Bob freaking Probert. Like, why are you thanking me? But we had sushi in the green room. And I remember him yelling to his brother, hey, I don't remember his brother's name. Norm. Norm? Norm, yeah. Hey, Norm, get in here. They got sushi. And he goes, oh, man, this is so nice of you. I go, Bob, you're Bob freaking Probert. Like, someone must have given you, like, sushi before in your life. He goes, oh, no, I really appreciate it. And that was kind of a lesson. And a couple of years later, you spoke to uh, my daughter, Casey, right? I mean, she's yeah. the one that uh, arranged for this. She yes. was uh, in Ryerson uh, at radio and television, and she was doing a documentary. And she interviewed Bob Probert. And Bob said to her, I said, hey, Bob, you know, this is my daughter, Casey. Is it okay if she asks you a few questions? This was at a charity hockey game. And he said, sure. And he took her under his arm and said, essentially, hey, Case, relax. You know, I got this. Ask me anything you want. And there was such a lesson there. There was such a lesson there because all of the guys, I bet you in that picture, have, have a kindness to them. And people, especially that go through what you've been through, if you come out the other side, you're talking about your friend who didn't make it on the flight, you know, like, like there's two directions he can go. And both of them are profound. Number one, he, if he stays on his current path, that's a bad thing. But, you know, when, you, when you've been through hell, when you have been at the bottom and looked up, it gives you a view on the world that makes you incredibly important to other people. So um, that's what I saw. I got a story for everyone, just so you know. So, uh, you, can, you know, be careful how many names you mention because I'll, I'll just. Well, well I'll, I wanted to circle back because I didn't mean to cut you off about your friend from North Battleford and Wade Belak. So my, my buddy Tyson Williams, so th this, so he messaged me and said, hey, you don't know, because I didn't know that he was in the process of ending his life when I messaged him. This was after the Stefan Richer show. I just, I just knew that he was feeling hopeless. And he said, I should tell you that 
I was about to end my life. That was my dog that pulled that, by the way. Um, I was about to end my life when you messaged me. And I didn't know that, right? And he said, I was in the closet. I heard the the bell go off that I had an email. And I thought, okay, well, it could be my parents or it could be my daughter. And I'd written notes to them. And I went and I saw that it was you. And I responded. And then I went back to finish the job and back and forth. And this story is so crazy because, first of all, he was from the same place as Wade Belak, who was, who was a real buddy of mine. You know, he and his wife and his kids and my family were really close. And he and I spoke about his depression uh, two weeks before he died. So um, the fact that Tyson was from there, the fact that Tyson, you know, um, was really in the worst possible place, but he was able to get help and he wouldn't have gotten help if he wouldn't have heard someone sharing. You know, what you're doing and what I'm doing, like, I don't know about you, but this is the easiest thing in the world for me. You know, like people say, oh, you know, good for you for doing this. But the truth is I get as much as I give and this is incredibly easy. It was always incredibly easy for me. So the end of the Tyson Williams story is gonna blow you away. So he and I got to be friends. I actually um, was able to invite him to an event in San Saskatoon that Mike Babcock was doing for mental health. And I was able to invite him and his fiance, which I got a million stories about that. And then about two years after that, I get an email from him and it says, Hey, Michael, will you be the best man at my wedding? Like, can you imagine Brady? Like, like, like wow. this, this is a guy I'd only met once before. And this is a guy who, you know, came from a totally different world, but we were connected. We were connected because because of this illness and because he knew that I understood him. And, and to be honest, I know he understands me. That's the power of sharing. That's why your show and what you do will change lives that you will probably never know about. You know, it's not like everyone who watches is going to communicate with you. It is incredibly important. Sharing changes lives. I, well, wow. Thanks for sharing that story. And, and I was thinking about this earlier today. And I mean, the last couple of days, because I do, I get, you know, without question, I get a lot of people reaching out and my shows on a, a fairly small scale uh, in comparison to off the record. We're talking like minuscule off the record's the biggest sports show that was around forever. So when you came out with that story, um, did you ever feel overwhelmed no. um, by all the emails? You know, I, it's just like, I can remember every bit of this because, I mean, first of all, it was a lot easier for me. I, I had battled depression for 10 years before I spoke about it on Off the Record. And I didn't not speak about it because I was ashamed or embarrassed. I just thought no one will care. I mean, everybody thought that, you know, I had this cocky swagger and probably half the audience hated me because they thought I was arrogant and because they thought I thought I knew it all. And I just figured, hey, you know, if I talk about depression, people are going to think, oh, he just wants his, he wants our sympathy. He wants him. He wants us to like him. And I didn't care. Like it never bothered me that people didn't like me. Who cares? Right. You're not trying to make friends with people. You want, just want them to watch your show. And I knew that, that who I was and how I acted was being misinterpreted, but it was good for TV. Right. So I never spoke about it. And then this one day I read about Stefan Riche and I thought, yeah, I'll ask him about it. But that uh, the next day when I started getting these emails, I remember responding and I went out for dinner with my, uh, with my family and my wife's family. And I was at the I was at the dinner table. I remember the Italian restaurant in Yorkville in Toronto. And I was texting with all of these people, Brady, like these people, these strangers that I had never met before. And I was responding to their emails to me because they were they were so emotional. And it was I was shocked by this. I was totally shocked that somehow I could help people by telling my own story. And this this just gave me an injection of life. 
It gave me a purpose to my pain. It allowed me to take the worst thing in my life, which is depression, and make it one of the best things in my life. And I've spoken about it every day, probably since then. And as you said, I do a video blog every day and I give speeches a couple of times a week. Uh, And you know what, it's just become the most important thing in my life professionally. And I owe it all to the fact that the stigma still exists. So when people hear someone like me or you talk about mental illness without shame and embarrassment, it can change their life. So not only have I never felt overwhelmed by it, I've always thought this is like one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Wow. And and I just, I echo the same words and people, you know, I do my best. Sometimes you have to, I have to take some time where it's like, okay, I need to focus on me just for a few minutes, but I'll tell you what, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, you get just as much out of it as maybe uh, the others do. And, you know, it's not why we do it, but it just sort of happens. And, uh, everything that I'm doing, I, it just feels like this is right. This is what I need to be doing. And I, every day there's, uh, it seems there's another uh, individual reaching out to me. And obviously my primary focus is hockey. And I want to give a special shout out to Wazantio Stacy, who played at the university of Vermont. He's uh, currently in treatment. He gave me permission to, uh, to, to let everyone know. And he reached out to me. I didn't know him. And, you know, he said to me, you know, I thought I was the only hockey player that was going through similar things. And you talk about my friend, Kevin, who's uh, struggling and, and, you know, we're talking, yeah, maybe addiction, but pretty much every person suffering with addiction also is dealing with a form of mental illness because and that's how they're trying to self-medicate um, to make themselves feel better. At least that's what I was doing. So what is like, I've seen a couple interviews, Michael, if you don't mind talking about it, um, Dude, medication, so no medication. Know, there's nothing that you could ask me that I wouldn't answer, you know, try, try to ask me a question that I wouldn't answer. You'll never find one. You know, I'm a, <laughs> open book and that's where the real value is in this right yes. is being open so yeah go ahead well i'm just curious where you're at right now with medication as far as antidepressants yeah. or anything like that these days you think you can ask me that question no that's i so personal i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> I you can ask me anything and you can uh i'm on uh, 20 milligrams of ciprolex which is uh, also known as escitalopram uh and uh 200 milligrams so 100 twice a day of wellbutrin okay uh, take Zopaclone to sleep and uh, a couple of days a week, I take Vivant for ADHD. Yes. And it's funny. I sound like a, you know, like a walking pharmacy and I like, and this is really important that I'm not here to be an advocate for medication because medication is, uh, is, you know, maybe the second worst thing in my life, but the worst thing in my life is the illness, right? So I hate being on the meds but I hate the illness way more. So it's like, you got to choose the thing that you love the least. No, you got to choose the thing that you hate the least, if that makes sense. I hate, I hate the medication less than I hate the illness. So I'm not here to say, hey, look, you know, look, look at, you know, you got, you got to take medication to get better, but medication saved my life and gave me my life back. Um, but I wish I didn't have to be on it. I'd go off it in a heartbeat if I thought there was another option, but I went off it four times and I relapsed every time. And, you know, the last time I relapsed was this day on my arm, November 24th, 2008, Montreal Marriott hotel room, 521, 4 AM in the morning. This was for me, uh, we were shooting off the record in Montreal at the gray cup. And that was, you know, for me, a uh, really profound moment where I thought 
wow, I understand why people take their own lives. I understand the fear of living was way greater than the fear of dying. So medication um, gave me my life back and saved my life. But uh, before you jump in with another question, let me just say one more. I got little phrases for everything, right? Sick not we came from um, is this sort of little miniature idea. And this is fight for your happiness. One of the first emails I ever sent to somebody talking about mental health was, you got to fight for your happiness. If you don't do it, no one can. People can fight with you, but no one can fight for you. And what could possibly be more important than fighting for this ability to experience joy, which is taken away when you have depression. Now, uh, Brady, were you di- were you diagnosed with depression? Yeah, a um, couple times, and also uh, diagnosed with ADHD. And it's interesting you mentioned Vyvanse uh, because I'm, you know, I was prescribed it, but never took it. I, I'm not currently taking any medication. And uh, the reason why I asked you about yours is because I always, and I think this is very common, is. Anytime I've gone and I know maybe I should be on it and I'll take it for five, six days and I'm like, oh, it's not doing anything, even though no full well that maybe I need to take it for three or four weeks or at least two, six weeks sometimes for it to kick in. But I don't have the patience and then I'll get, you know, maybe have one good day or a half a good day. And I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need that. And then, you know, I'm, I'm going like this. And don't get me wrong. I'm way better than I was, you know, a year ago and two years ago and everything else. But I still... I haven't really thought about my depression much until you were going to come on the show and I start researching you. And then I'm really starting to think about it. And I think about all the times where I'm just kind of floating by and like, I'm motivated to do these things and I'm talking to people, I'm helping people. But when I'm by myself, I'm like, man, like I've been having, and a lot of people don't know this, but I've been having little flashes where it's like, is life even worth living? Like what, even though I have all these good things going on and people think, oh, like this and that, it's like, I sit there by myself and I'm like, man, like, is this it? Like, you know, like, I don't want to sound ungrateful and because I'm trying to live that way, but I have these moments where it's just like, maybe I want to take my own life and then I'll snap out of it and I'll be like, no, like what, why are you thinking like that? You know? What you just said is so important for your own mental health, but more than that, for somebody else's. Because, you know, there is this feeling when it comes to all aspects of mental illness that we are the only ones. And when you say to somebody, you know, sometimes I get these thoughts where I think, okay, you know, like, is this it? You know, maybe, you know, wouldn't it be easier if I just wasn't here? Maybe, you know, and you have these thoughts of suicide. Someone else hears you say that and goes, oh, my gosh, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was all alone. And then you realize it's like you're in the closet with depression. You think I'm the only one. And then someone opens the closet door and a little light comes in and you look around and you go, oh my gosh, I played with that guy. Oh my gosh, that, I went to school with that guy. You find out that not only are you not the only one, but there's many people who experience the same thing. I, I think, let me ask you this question about, about depression with you. If you had to live the rest of your life the way you feel now, and when I say now, I don't mean at this time on this day. I mean, in general, if, like if you look at the last three months, just overall, if you had to live like this the rest of your life, would you be satisfied with that? Would you go, yeah, you know what? I'm okay with that. Or would you say, eh, I kind of want, I want something more. It's a good, it's a good question. I mean, I'm, there's a lot of great things in my life, but I'm, there's these moments where I'm just like, I can't get through this. I don't know. And, and 
honestly, lately it's sort of even creeping in more and where it's like, I have to push myself to get out of bed. And it's like, man, you got stuff to do. You got to get up, you got to get going and maybe I'll get through it. And some days are better than others, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of great things in my life. I just had another baby and uh, a lot of great opportunities in front of me, but when I'm by myself and when I'm thinking about, and it's not even that I'm like, Oh, I, I, pissed away my hockey career. I've heard all these people. I was doing all this. It's not even that. It's just like, I just feel blah sometimes. And I'm like, ah, like what is really going on here? And I can't, can't explain it. You don't have to explain it because um, those of us that have been there can understand it without you explaining it. And those who've never been there will never understand it, no matter how much you explain it. And that's one of the complexities of being a caregiver to someone like you or me, in that you can't understand what depression feels like unless you've been through it. And that's why it's, it's, it's so difficult um, sometimes to you know maintain relationships when you battle something like this because people you can't prove it to them right like you can't prove yeah. to the world that you have depression you can't show them an x-ray where they go wow that looks terrible or a blood test or a biopsy so all they know is what you have in your life and the and the the belief is if you have good things you just had another baby and all of the other things that I don't know about that you would say are really good things in your life, people look at that and they go, well, you know, how could he be depressed? But one has nothing to do the, with the other. You know, circumstances in your life, um, it's great to have great circumstances, but it doesn't protect you from the illness called depression. And I stress the word illness there because there's different things. There is I don't like my life. You know, if you were in an unhappy relationship and you hated your job and, you know, that's not the illness called depression, right? That's just a crappy aspect of life, right? Uh, and sadness is not always depression. Some people with, with depression are sad and some people who are sad are depressed, but one doesn't equal the other. I mean, this is stuff that, that people need to hear because when they're battling this and they hear that they are understood, it's incredibly powerful for them. That's your goal. I'm, I'm, from, what I, from what I've experienced, your goal in doing what you're doing is to give people the feeling that they are understood. So they watch you, Brady, and they think to themselves, wow, you know, he's talking about all of these good things in his life and he just had another baby, but when he's by himself, you know, he has trouble getting out of bed, he has trouble getting motivated, he has trouble experiencing the joy that he might experience in different circumstances. People, when they hear that, it can change their life because they realize he understands me. And the belief that many of us have, and I'm sure you, I'm sure when you were going through addiction and you were at your worst, I'm sure you thought nobody could understand what you were going through. Exactly. And there was even, uh, you know, and I've shared this before. It's like I was homeless on Hastings. I'm sure you've been to Vancouver. You're well aware of what Hastings is in Vancouver. I was homeless down there for 10 months, like bad. And I remember being down there with lifers down there and they would look even like they would look at me and they would be like, what's wrong with you? Are you trying to die? Like, cause that's the life I was living. So of course I felt like nobody understood me because even when I was down there and the reason why I ended up down there, I obviously there's a, there's a path to what happens to get there and everything else. And you get down there and nobody judges you and you don't have to, you know, hide. And then when I started to realize that this is not where I belong, I don't fit in. They didn't care or anything. And then I started to realize that I, that I had a little bit more to give than just to be the drug. I just didn't know how to get out of it. And oh man, it, 
when depression comes on though, it, it is, there's just no words for it. It's like so debilitating where man, like my girlfriend, for example, she'll be like, why aren't you ever happy? Why aren't you? And it's not that I'm not happy. Like whatever. She's like, you don't laugh. You don't do this. And it's like, I sorry. Like I'm not, I wish I was happier. I'm not trying to be not happy or anything, but, and I can't explain it. It just feels like I'm just like trapped sometimes. Like I just can't get away from myself. Dude, I understand every word that you're saying. And it's, you know, it's, it's like, I, I mean, I said before, when we started this, I said, somebody who has never experienced depression will never understand what it feels like because it goes against everything that um, as a healthy, I call it healthy brainitis. It's like how screwed up the healthy brain is when it, they look at someone like me or someone like you, because the healthy brain thinks, well, if I do something good for Brady, Brady will feel good. That's the way life generally works, right? Like if you if you don't have depression or other mental illness issues and something good happens to you, you feel good. The problem with depression is that it takes away your ability to feel good. So no matter what happens, you can't feel it. You can act like you're feeling good, but you can't feel it. And the loss of that ability is, is crushing. That's why, like, I, I know, I mean, uh, today was a pretty good day for me. The last couple of days, not, not good. I mean, I blogged about it. Yeah, I saw. But my, my, you see my bad days because I'm on medication are not terrible days. They're just kind of crappy days. Um, because, um, because, you know, medication keeps me above a certain level, but it also keeps me below a certain level. So instead of living my life in this range, I live my life in this range. So this is my worst day and this is my best day. I wish this was my worst day and this was my best day, but that's not the way it works. And that's why I said to you, you know, um, medication is the second worst thing in my life, but the worst thing in my life is depression. So I understand you. And if, if you, like when you're having a bad day, if you texted me and said, Hey, Michael, you know, people are looking at me like, why can't I be happy? I have good things in my life. I would, I would respond to that by saying, uh, I understand why they don't understand why, but I understand, you know, it's like telling someone who's trying to start a car that's out of gas, can't, uh, why can't you start the car? And you're you're doing you know you're pushing the button. I was going to say this, but that's you know that's I guess I just dated myself. <laughs> you know if 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 a car's battery is dead, no matter how hard you try, the car's not going to start. If you are depressed, no matter how hard you try, you are not going to be happy. It's it's like something in your brain, some chemical is missing. And the fact that other people can't understand what that feels like is is really devastating to those of us with the illness. Yeah. And what I found, too, especially in sports, and I use hockey as an example because that was my sport. It, you go into a coach's office and you have a broken hand because you got in a fight the night before. OK, yeah, no worries. Yeah, you're, you're no worries. You know, sit out six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is. You go in there with a tell them you're broken head or you're upset or you're not feeling like this. I still feel like we're a long ways from people actually trying to understand that without being blackballed or looked down upon how many athletes um, have come have there been a lot of athletes that come to you in secret without going names and everything else. Are there more than people realize? Well, Wade Belak was one Wade, Wade, you know, like I, I, I remember you mentioned uh, the, um, 
the documentary, uh, Darkness and Hope. And I was, you know, before Wade died, we were in the process of, of planning that. And I was telling him about it. And he said, oh man, you know, if this was six months later, I would, I would, I would do it. And I said to him, because this is the way we were, and this is the way guys are, I went, Wade, believe me, we can find bigger celebrities than you to talk about this. And he laughed, ah, way to go, buddy. Um, but he said that, and I said, well, why not now? And he said, ah, I'm still playing for Nashville. You know, I'm worried that I'll be seen in a certain way. You know, I don't want the guys in the dressing room to know that I'm battling this. I don't want my coach to know that I'm battling this. And that's, that's, that's tragic. But you see, it's not just hockey locker rooms. It's, you know, if you work at a bank, it's the same thing. You don't want your boss to know. I spoke to a thousand teachers one time, Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario in Cambridge. It was a PD day. So they hired me to come in and speak. And I asked them, I said, how many of you would go to your principal if you were having like a, a really hard time? If you thought, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm battling depression and I, I need some help. I need some help from my boss. And out of the thousand teachers, I maybe 20 put up their hands. And I said to the rest of them, like, why not? And they said, well, because, you know, they'll look at us differently. You know, the coach in your situation would look at you differently. And that is at least in part because you said if you broke your hand, if you broke your hand, you could show him an x-ray of your hand that showed you, hey, there's a break right there. But when you go in and you say, you know, coach, I'm, I'm really down. You know, I have a tough time getting out of bed. What are you going to show him that would prove to him that you have this thing called depression? There's nothing. There's no way to prove it. So people are skeptical that it exists. And even though it's 2021 and we've been talking about this for a while now, it's still, I agree with you, it's still a problem. Yeah, it's a, I mentioned you maybe heard it in the intro at the beginning about how I left Swift Current. It was because I was calling my dad all the time, telling him I was going to kill myself um, in Swift Current at my billet's house at night and just losing my mind. Like I was, it was either I'm coming home or I'm going to kill myself in Swift Current right now until finally I packed up my truck at 18 years old after I won Rookie of the Year the year before the Broncos, packed up my truck and drove 14 hours straight back to Vancouver and you know, was I any happier when I got home? You're absolutely, no, absolutely not because it follows you. But in my mind, I needed to do something. And I've heard you talk about this, about how when you're depressed, you want to go, if you're at work, you want to go to your car, you get to car, you want to go home, you get to home, you go to your bed. And I love that. And trying, you can't really keep running from it until you go to sleep. And then maybe you wake up the next day. So what are some tactics that work for you or some some ways that you get through it. Is there anything that helps Michael Landsberg get through the day? Well, I, you know, there's a few things. Number one, I medication. Yeah. So I have, I, I have um, gone for treatment. Uh, and when you got home to Vancouver, you, you said, you know, did I feel any better? No. Uh, and the reason for that, at least in part, is that you weren't, you didn't go home to Vancouver and say, okay, well, you know, I, I got to go see a psychiatrist or you didn't get home and say, okay, well, you know, I got, I got to go get help. You know, it was the same illness, just in a different place. And the belief is, well, if we change our place, like you just said, you know, it's it's like you're chasing something. I, You know, I, I can't be here anymore. I want to be there. And, you know, I talked about that the last couple of days. You know, it was like wherever I am, I want to be someplace else. And the only place that actually feels okay is when you get in bed, when you don't have to talk to anyone. You don't have to do anything. There's no expectation on you. So what gets me through a bad day is actually um, – the knowledge of my own history. 
And by that I say, well, uh, the two previous days to today were bad days for me. And I have been through two bad days over the last 10 years, probably, you know, I, I don't know, 500 times. And I know that it will pass. So I know that I don't have to focus on it. I don't obsess about it. It's like I have this saying, and as I told you, I have a saying for everything, but it's like I let it be on me, not in me. So depression is like rain, it's falling down. I can't stop it from raining but I can put on a raincoat or an umbrella and prevent it from soaking into me. I can't stop the depression over the last couple of days from hitting me, but I don't have to make it worse by thinking, well, what happens if tomorrow's worse than today? Mm. It's like, I just, I, I just say to myself, and, and I, and I did this yesterday afternoon, you know, I was by myself and I said, okay, you can't change where you are right now. You can't make this go away. So just accept it. Just accept it and and try to do things that that take the focus off of how miserable you feel. Uh, and I, you know, part of that I have uh, I have you know these people like you do that I try to offer um, you know wisdom to. And there's a woman on the East Coast who I I text with every day. Never met her, probably never will meet her. And I tell her repeatedly, she'll have three good days and then she'll have two suicidal days. And during her suicidal time, I'll say to her, "Look, you know you you know this is going to pass." And she said, "Well, how do I know?" And I said, "You know this is going to pass because you've been through it since I met you a couple of years ago. You've been through it a hundred times." And she goes, well, maybe this time is different. I go, you know, the only good thing about a bad day is that you can learn from it. Learn about your illness. Learn about how it comes and if it goes. Because next time it comes, you will know that, yeah, you know what? If I wait this out, it will go. Yeah. And I think that's a really, it's a really great point and not having to focus on, you know, what, what's going to happen, you know, tomorrow or next week. Um, it's sometimes easier said than done, but it's a, you know, oh. I've, never, I've never stopped to think about that. Like learn about it, learn about your, your illness, see how it, you know, how it makes you feel. When is it coming on? Journal it, whatever that looks like for all of us. Um, what about as far as, you know, where was there a time when you were actually considering taking your life and, how are you doing with those thoughts now? If you don't, you know, again, don't Look, mind. I told you, ask me anything you want. <laughs> you know, when, uh, when I have been at my worst, I have understood the concept of me going, okay, well, God, if I had to live like this the rest of my life, uh, I wouldn't make it right. Like there'd be a certain time when I went, Oh my God, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't keep battling and fighting this every day because it doesn't get any better. But you see, because I'd been through this before, um, four or five different times where I was off medication and I relapsed and I felt my worst. And like I said, um, November 24th, 2008, Montreal Marriott Hotel, room 521, 4 a.m. in the morning. That was like the fourth time that I had fell to the bottom. So I at least had a little confidence that when I went back for treatment, that my misery would be lessened, even though I was worried, I'd like panicked. Oh my God, what happens if it doesn't work this time? What happens if medication doesn't help me? What happens if therapy doesn't help me? What happens if I go for electroconvulsive therapy and it doesn't help? You know, at that point, I knew that eventually I would probably end up to try to take my own life. But fortunately for me, after 
this time, uh, three weeks later, I was doing better. So, uh, but I understand it. I, I understand the concept of it. I understand the, you know, like if I, if I came there and hacked off your arm and said, okay, well, you know, uh, I, I, they can stop the bleeding, but the pain that you feel right now from someone cutting off your arm is never going to go away. Eventually you'd say, okay, well, you know, kill me, right? You know, I, I can't live with this pain. But you see, you know, missing your arm, it's pretty obvious what that pain is and where it comes from. The pain that you and I are talking about is very difficult to put into words and also very difficult for people to understand. Like they don't see it as pain. They don't see your alone time, Brady, as being pain. They see it as something totally different, like, oh, you know, he's not motivated or, you know, he's probably, you know, a little bit lazy. And, you know, I, 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 I guess, I guess it's just really powerful to hear from someone who says, I understand you. I understand what that's like. That's a big, that's a big one. You know, people sometimes just need to be, be heard and, and, you know, have somebody listen that, you know, understands and sometimes have been there and walked in their shoes and, and cares, right? right. Uh, because when I know for myself, when I'm going through these different aspects of mental illness, especially depression, I want to get to anxiety a little bit, because that's something that I never knew that I had really um, until recently. I'm talking, especially when I was playing, you want to talk about anxiety. I thought it was like nerves, butterflies. Okay. You know, everything else. But with depression, it's like, I just sometimes wanted somebody to be like, Hey, you know what? It's, it's okay that you're feeling like, you know, it's okay that you're feeling like this. Um, it, it's going to go away or I'm here for you or whatever. Um, instead of having to try to just pretend like I was okay all the time, just always constantly putting on that mask of, yeah, okay. From day one, I can remember being a kid um, starting to do that and having these feelings and, and everything else. And it's just like, wow. So what about anxiety is a question. And the second question I have to go along with that is, how long did it take you to get your meds straightened out with the right ones? Different tries. Have it, has it been the same since day one? Um, because I know sometimes it could take a little bit of time. Uh, well, first thing for me, anxiety, uh, since, since I can remember as a little kid, uh, I had um, real anxieties that would would qualify as you know mental illness this was not you know hey kids always have fears right oh my god is there someone under my bed you know i had i had anxieties that that dictated a lot of my life and the decisions i made and a lot of the things that i wouldn't do uh, i wouldn't do them because i had these terrible anxieties one of the things that i was afraid of is i, I was afraid to throw up i was afraid to be around someone who threw up i was afraid of anything that had to do with it. I was afraid of watching it movie where someone threw up. It, there's actually a name for it. It's called emetophobia. And that prevented me from doing things like riding on a bus to camp. That prevented me from, uh, you know, really guided a lot of my life. Like I, I, I never drank, right? Why didn't I drink? Because I was afraid that I would get drunk and throw up. Uh, and why didn't I hang out with people that drank? And the answer is because I was afraid that one of them would throw up. I mean, these are not normal anxieties that 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 you know that kids have. And you know, all kids have things that they're afraid of. But do the fears dictate their life? And the answer is, is not unless they have a real problem. And I never told anyone about this. You know, I, I, I would have taken this secret to my grave if I hadn't sort of become a, uh, an out of the closet mental health sharer. Uh, 
And I, you know, I, I existed through my childhood and then I got married and it started to, you know, I like it started to get a little bit better. Uh, and I, I think that because I never really dealt with it, I was not prepared for adulthood uh, and some of the things that, you know, real experiences in life that would create anxiety. I had no coping mechanism. I still don't. I still have, I still have times when I'm just consumed by anxiety. So uh, it's, you know, and, and for me, I get most depressed when I get most anxious, when my anxiety goes like through the roof, when I obsess about things, then I start to fall into a, a deeper hole of depression. So I think one feeds the other. As for medication, uh, you know, I've been really lucky. I, I, you know, when I, when we first started off the record, I, you know, I fell into this terrible hole of depression. And I remember going to my doctor and my doctor, I said to her, a psychiatrist, I said, look, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you as much as you want me to talk, but I need something, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not living right now. I'm dying. Uh, and she wrote a prescription for Prozac, which was, you know, was kind of like the first of its kind in that category. And, you know, three weeks later, I was doing better. And when I went off of it, because I got tired of the side effects, uh, I relapsed and then I went back on and I went back on Zoloft and then I went off it and I relapsed and I went back on Celexa and that helped too. And I went on Effexor and, and now, as I told you, I'm on Ciprolex and Wellbutrin. So every drug has worked for me. Uh, and that's that's lucky. I'm one of the lucky ones because I know people who try everything and can't get better. And that is uh, that is like the worst thing, the most painful thing, the most tragic thing that I can think of is somebody who can't find relief for something like depression. Wow. It's a lot. This is a lot to take in because I'm sitting here listening, but I'm thinking to myself that I need to be doing more for my for my um, diagnosed um, mental illnesses that I've been diagnosed with since I was 18. I'm now 33. I'll be 34 in August. And on the record, not off the record, on the record, I mean, like I've only ever taken anything, like I told you twice, I've taken Effexor um, for a week once and I think 10 days, like three years after that. Can't tell you how many times I filled prescriptions um, and either picked them up and threw them in the garbage, you know, six months, a year down the road or Phil went to drop off the prescription and never went back to go get them. Um, so man, uh, I've tried, I've seen, you know, I can kind of be your conscience and, and, you know, it really comes back to the question I asked you, which is if you had to live like this, would you be satisfied? Cause if the answer is yes, and not just yes, because you think that's what I want to hear. But if the answer genuinely internally is, yeah, you know what? I'm okay. I know what it's like to be really bad. I know what it's like to be addicted. I know what it's like to not want to get out of bed in the morning. And I, you know, I can accept where I am. If you can say that, then, then I would say, that's a good thing. Continue to enjoy that. Monitor yourself, but continue to, to live like that. Mm -hmm. But if the answer is no, you know, I, I kind of do feel like I'm giving up an aspect of my life that I want, then you got to keep chasing the help. And sometimes, it, you know, you need someone like me pointing out to you, you know, asking you the question, are, are you satisfied with where you are? And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of ways that um, I can try to have you come to the conclusion that you need something more than you have right now. Um, because sometimes it takes someone outside of your own brain to help you with your own brain. 
So, you know, I, I can be that guy for you because I, I, I know what it's, I know where you're at. I know what it's like. I know what it's like not to be sure. And I also know what it's like to give up part of your life to your illness. And that's really tragic. Well, I appreciate that. Number one and two, it's, it's another great point that you make. And I know that a lot of people I've, you know, I talked to quite a few people and, and, you know, point out things and, you know, maybe I need to be taking a little bit of my own advice or actually need to get outside of my own thoughts and my own advice to, to, you know, hear it from somebody else, you know, towards me. And it gets back to people ask me, well, what are you doing for your own? You know, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I'm, you know, I, I can tell myself I'm fine because I'm not using drugs anymore. But when you ask me the question, am I satisfied? Like if I had to live like this for the rest of my life, like, would I be satisfied? No, because I've, believe that I can be happier, can have more joy in my life. And if that is the case, then I can, you know, therefore I can be a better father. I can be a better friend. I can be a, you know, more productive with anything that I want to do because a lot of the times I'm sitting around and sure, maybe I'm getting stuff done, but it's, it's like, Oh man, I'm doing stuff that I used to love to do sometimes. And it's just like, Oh, like, you know, and I'm not doing the things that I really love to do. And it's just, it's, it's a really difficult, you know, piece. And especially when you're dealing with coming out of addiction, because it's so focused on addiction. You tell the, the second that I tell somebody I'm not okay, they think I've relapsed on the drugs and it's like, Holy, I don't even want to go down that wormhole. But I mean, it's, it's, I'm so far from that part of my life. Like it doesn't even feel like that part of my life exists, but now it's like, okay, so now I'm here and I'm, I need to take that maybe that next step. And so I am doing um, counseling um, through uh, the ministry here as well, um, mostly to do with sexual abuse, trauma counseling, which has been, I mean, it's been tough, but another thing that I believe I needed to do and, and, you know, I've become friends with Sheldon Kennedy, who has been great over the last year. Uh, I try not to bombard him too much because uh, I know he's got a lot coming in and he's gone through a lot, but man, it, it takes sometimes, you know, guys like yourself and Sheldon to really, another one's Brent Sopo, who's become a good friend of mine to really pose these questions, you know, um, back on me. And uh, I appreciate that. If you don't mind, I'm going to get to a couple of comments coming in from, from people watching. I know there's, I'm not going to be able to get to all of them. There's so many. Bring it on. Coming, coming in. Um, we'll skip down to here. Um, Ryan Phillips, good friend of mine. Uh, follow of yours, former pro hockey player too, and mental health advocate. At what age did depression kick in? What age and how did you combat it? I think we got to that, but what age um, was uh, it? I guess I was, uh, I was 40. 40. Um, uh, anxiety kicked in for me at four or five. Um, and uh, it was like, oh my God. Sometimes when I tell my story, I go, holy shit. I got to be making some of this crap up because no one could have that many things, you know, like, like, I, I mean, I'm on uh, an antidepressant for depression and anxiety. I take Vivance for ADHD, which by the way, is incredibly effective for me. Like I can't take it every day because it starts to stop working. So I'll take it either Monday and Thursday or Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And on that day, like tomorrow, Monday, I'll wake up to do my radio show. And then by like five o'clock in the afternoon, I'll still be going. I'll be going, oh my God, like, like my brain is actually working the way I want it to work. But I'm also, I have dyslexia, right? Which, okay. uh, which Brent Sopel, I know yeah. 
spoken to him lots of times about it. You know, I when I was in school, you know, teachers would go like they would tell my mom and dad that I was lazy, right? Because you know my work looked like hell. So I, you know, I I think I think that when you add all that up, it's like oh my god, you know, wow, where did all this come from? But uh, you know, for me, anxiety when I was really young, and then depression um, when I was when I was like maybe thirty maybe 39, 38, something like that. Well, thanks for letting us know. And a good friend of mine, a follower from day one, David Carlson says, Michael wrote an excellent forward in Brant Meyer's book, Painkiller, which I haven't read yet, but um, I know that I was aware that you did the forward and I've been bugging Brant to come on my show, but I know he's busy. Um, I can't wait to read it. So um, he's so busy. Oh yeah. You know what? If like, uh, you know, I'm pissed. not as busy as you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Brand, I'm so busy. He's sitting in his house in Calgary because he can't go out because of the pandemic. Um, I think he should, you know, I'm going to tell him, you got to have time for this guy's show. Uh, but yeah, I, I uh, Brand's my buddy. That's why I could make fun of him. Yeah. I met him well, off the record. Uh, and I immediately liked him. I immediately felt like I could understand his his struggle, even though I've never, you know, I've never had a problem with addiction. Um, my brother, who's uh, a famous kidney doctor in Vancouver, uh, he's in, at St. Paul's. He's, a, 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 you know, they call a kidney doctor is called a nephrologist. He was uh, he was addicted to alcohol and prescription pills, medicating for the same problems that I, I that that I developed later in life. Um, but from the time he was 16, he was drinking. And from the time he was like 21, he was taking uh, benzodiazepines like Ativan and like Xanax yeah. and like Valium. And it should have killed him. But fortunately, uh, he ended up being treated by a psychiatrist who could help him overcome his addiction because he could replace his addiction for his mental illness with, uh, with medication. And that ultimately saved his life. Wow, that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, good for your brother. I mean, it's not yeah. an easy road for sure. Rustin Baldwin says, uh, thank you to Michael Landberg for being a guest speaker at the Mood Disorders Association of Ontario. He inspired me so much. I became a peer support worker and now work for that association. So that's really cool. That is cool. Um, Yes, true. Some people understand and some don't want to understand, uh, David. Uh, to Sandra Murray, who's our executive director of mental health and addiction for Puck Support, says, thank you, Michael, for reminding people that depression can be a symptom due to life circumstances or a clinical diagnosis, a difference that from a treatment perspective should be discerned and in order to have the best therapeutic outcome. Thank you, Sandra, for watching. I love Sandra. I was with talking to her earlier today. She's become a great friend. Uh, Michelle Altpolino up in Morrisburg says, always told depression is in my head always told get over it and i think you know what you say to that <laughs> it's you know the idea that someone could say well it's weird right because yeah you're right it is in my head you know like big surprise you know it's my brain that's screwed up but my brain isn't screwed up by my choice you know depression is is not a choice depression is not a weakness depression is not something that you will upon yourself it's it's an illness like anything else and because of that because you can't prove it you know is it michelle that you were referring to you know, Michelle, people will, you know, will say to you, oh, you know, come on, come on, Michelle, like what? enough with the whole depression thing. And that's because they don't understand it. And it, like I said, if you could prove it, 
if you could say, hey, you know, like I, I, I just went to the doctor and he took blood and my results came back and my depression was, you know, 112. And someone would go, oh, my God, 112. That's terrible. But, you know, we can't prove it anyway. And it's incredibly frustrating because people always doubt something that they can't see and you can't see depression. Yeah, it's uh, who knows, maybe. Maybe we'll get there. Probably not in our lifetime. Who knows, though? Things are always changing, but it, it would make things a lot easier um, for people. Maybe not a lot easier because maybe you'd still have to deal with it. But, man, it's it, it's very frustrating. You know, at times um, for me, and, and I just think back to my hockey playing days, like, and I, I heard Stefan Riche talk about it lots. It's like couldn't go to his teammates or his coach and tell him it was just there's no way that was ever going to happen especially when he played it was even it was even more of a stigma attached to it so i want to say thank you to him too for for doing that with you yeah. that that was a that was amazing um that both of you guys you guys really changed the game i think for a lot of people especially in the sports world so thank you for that and i know you don't like hearing about the all the things you've done and everything but at the end of the day sometimes michael you should look in the mirror and, and be like hey you know what michael i'm proud i'm proud of you tell yourself you're proud of yourself because you've done great work, man, um, and we all appreciate you, including Sean Horswell, who says, I'm so happy Michael is a part of this, such a big part of my every morning. So that's really cool, Sean. Um, thanks for joining the show. Um, we're moving moving on. I can't get to all of them, guys. I'm sorry. Um, Ryan Phillips, again, thank you for your truth and transparency. Uh, Matthew Meinzer, or Meinzer, uh, this guy, let me tell you, I always talk about this guy because you're always watching. He's in Argentina, okay? He's from Canada, and he moved to Argentina, and he makes hockey sticks down there for the locals in this, not just like a big part of Argentina. We're talking in the middle of nowhere, uh, and it's just beautiful down there, and he makes it out of their wood trees from that grows only in Argentina, and he's growing the game of hockey uh, in the very bottom of the world near, like, Antarctica. It's crazy. Uh, so Matthew says, we all need to find that PMA, that positive attitude, and yeah, because at the end of the day, it's you know, if you know that you're going to get through it, staying positive and, and trying to just keep moving forward with that attitude, it's been it's had a profound effect on me. Go ahead, Michael. Right. A positive attitude is most important because when you're chasing the help, believing that you can find help is really important. Like positive attitude can't, you know, you can't get rid of you know, severe mental illness, like we're talking about, um, because you have a positive attitude, but it can help you in chasing the kind of help that will assist you in that. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, that's weird though. He's down in Argentina making hockey sticks. What kind of business plan is that? I'm going to Argentina to make hockey sticks. Good for him for, uh, yeah, it's, for it's not a business plan. He went there to visit and he feels he's been called, uh, to do that. And he's growing the game game of Argentina or hockey down in Argentina and I'm gonna hopefully feature him on one of these shows because he's got the whole workshop and the locals down there and he's you know he's doing incredible things right from roller hockey and and they never played hockey really until um he was down there and so it's uh it's pretty it's a pretty cool story but I'm not sure about the business plan or I've never asked him about the financials of it but man um the pictures and the videos that I've seen I've talked to him uh, on FaceTime there and uh, man, it's just, it's incredible what he's doing and, and kudos to him for that. Thanks for watching, Matthew. Uh, Erica Lynn Joyce, one of my best friends, older sisters, Matt Thompson said, this has been a great interview. Love Michael Landsberg, OTR. She also says, thank you both for continuing to share your story. And it's, uh, 
There you go. There's his answer. It's not a business plan. Ha ha. It's for the love of hockey, which is very cool. And so sorry if I didn't get, I had to skip over a bunch of comments and questions. I don't want to, uh, he does, yeah, he's saying he doesn't make any profit. Thanks, boys. And, and I've, I thought that too. So Matthew, thank yeah, I was you. kidding about the business plan. It's I know you were. When you say he's, you know, he's making hockey sticks in Argentina. It's like, really? Uh, but hey, you know, if he has found peace of mind, if he has found something that um, when he wakes up, he wants to go do, then that's a good thing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very, very cool story. Uh, before I let you go, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Sick Not Week, um, where that came from, how long it's been around and, and what you guys do. I was giving a speech, uh, you know, when I, after that Stefan Riche show, um, you know, I realized that there's something incredibly powerful about anyone talking about their own mental health in a really candid and open way. And, you know, when, when I talk about this, it's not like I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'm doing something unique. Anyone can do what it is you're doing and what it is I'm doing. Uh, but I was fortunate that I had platforms available to me. People would listen to me because, you know, s- some people knew who I was. And that's a great entree into talking to them. And I was giving a speech in Toronto at a hospital and I said, God, you know, no one ever admits to being part of the stigma, right? It's like, you know, now when I give speeches, I'll say, how many of you think the stigma is a problem still, even in 2021? And everyone will put up their hands or if it's a virtual thing, they'll all say yes. And you'll see like 99%. And then you say, well, how many of you think you're part of the problem, part of the stigma? And almost no one says yes. Because we don't see ourselves. Like if you say, you know, how many people think they're racist? Almost no one will say it. How many people think they're sexist? Almost no one will say it. Yet we know racism and sexism is still a big issue in our society. So I said, someone challenge me on this, man. So finally, someone put up their hand and, you know, said, hey, you know, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, your illness of depression is not exactly like other illnesses, that it's not like, you know, having diabetes or cancer or anything like that. I said, well, you know, thanks for saying that. We debated back and forth. And at the end, I said, you know, what you need to understand is that I'm sick, but I'm not weak. And I, I someone repeated it back to me. And then I have no idea how I got from that point to, um, to the point point where it kind of became, you know, my rally cry, my moniker, it kind of became, you know, like this, this statement that everything else, when I when I give a talk, for instance, you know, I'll say, hey, my name is Michael Landsberg, I battled an illness called depression and anxiety, I understand suicide, I understand why people take their own lives. I understand the pain of waking up and not wanting to get out of bed. I understand all of that. But I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. And I'm not weak. I am sick, not weak. And it's like everything else I say after that is just examples to prove that that is the case. So uh, I don't know, uh, March 10th, 2016, we started uh, a charity called Sick Not Week, and we just went through our fifth anniversary. I remember saying this because um, there's 1,825 days, I think, over five years. And I figured out I had done 1,800 uh, daily lands blogs over that period of time. So um Sick Not Weak is just kind of who I am, right? If I was a tattoo guy, I'd probably get a tattoo that said Sick Not Weak. Well, maybe, hey, you so you won't do it? You never get a tattoo? I wouldn't say that. You know, it was, uh, I, I mean, one of, one of the coolest things I, I've ever experienced was I was, honestly, I was in the airport. I was in Calgary and I was coming home from giving a speech. And this was probably, I don't know, three years ago. 
And some guy comes up to me and I like, I'm thinking, okay, he's like five feet away from me and he's staring at me. It's like, okay, it's a little creepy. So I said, Hey, you know, how you doing? What's up? He goes, not much. And I could tell he was really emotional. Right. And he said, look at this. And he had a tattoo on his arm and it said, sick, not weak. And I thought, oh, that's just like, it, it was an incredible experience, uh, you know, so profound. And, you know, it just, there was so much that that tattoo on that guy's arm said to me about the world that we live in and the importance of sharing mental health and how people want to hear stories that empower them because my story empowers him. And then he tells his story and that empowers someone else. You tell your story and people listen and they go, Oh, okay, well, you know, I feel like now I can be more open with other people. Well, it's sometimes, you know, it takes somebody to stand up uh, to just shed a little light on, on these hard topics to really give empower others to do the same thing. And it's, it's guys like you that have, you know, really come and, and booted these doors open, man. And I know you don't like hearing about it, but I strongly suggest that, you take a good look in the mirror and, and tell yourself you're proud of yourself and that you love yourself because you've done amazing work. And listen to that story, uh, Michael. I mean, that's that's amazing. All these emails you get, man, all these people that, you know, and like you said, maybe it's to you, it's not anything special. You're just living your truth. You're You're being transparent. But in a world where, especially nowadays, where people are so inclined and motivated to only talk about or post the good things in their life. Oh, look at me. I'm here. Look at me. I got this new shirt or this new car. And so when you they when people see that people are not always okay, they don't always have it all together because nobody does, but a lot of people try to pretend to, it, it takes balls and, and you deserve some credit for that. You know, social media is uh, social media is is the worst thing in the world, but it's also the best thing in the world because I mean, look, you know, ninety nine percent of my communication comes in social media. You know, I'm on Twitter every day talking about a good day, a bad day, talking about you know this is how I feel, this is how you know my loss of self esteem affected me yesterday, and trying to do my job. I mean, that's incredibly important for other people because they go, wow, you know, me too. Uh, and but the problem with social media is that we think that everybody lives a perfect life like you were saying and that can be devastating to us right you know everybody posts the best picture they can of themselves everybody talks about their life like their life is perfect and the feeling that everybody else's life is perfect can can make you feel inferior right because you go well my life's not perfect so I think it really helps to hear someone talking about their non-perfect life. And uh, if that's got to be me, great. If that's going to be you, that's great, too. So here's here's what we're going to do, you and I. Uh, you're going to have me back on your show. Yeah. What we're going to do um, is I'm going to uh, interview you. So, I mean, you have so much inside you that sometimes you don't even know how much you have in you. So you do a really good job. You know, the first, I don't know how many minutes of this show was you, you know, part of it talking about yourself and your own, your own battle and where you were. Uh, and that's, that's great. But you have more inside you than you even know. And sometimes it takes somebody, like when I said to you, you know, are, are you satisfied living the rest of your life the way you are? You know, that's a question that came from outside your own brain, but really important for your own brain. So, uh, Let's uh, let's do that. You make that happen. 
that would be uh that would be awesome man that would uh i get excited about that i mean i get there's a lot of emotions that are nervous but like you i'm a very open book i and it, it like you said it has a value and that's why people listen when people are transparent uh and honest that's when you know people get the most out of anything and uh i'm all for that and that uh, hold on i have to i have to do this cuz I haven't I haven't done that yet today. So uh, that that gets me fired up, man. Listen, I know your time is you said it wasn't valuable. We've been going over in an hour and I wanted to keep it right around an hour for you because I know you got lots going on. You got Sunday night. It's this is your probably your time off and you've taken time to. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me what I want to do with my life. I mean, the truth is that when I click off here, uh, I'm probably going to go to bed, right? Because I wake up at five to do uh, the radio show. So, um, but you know, this is uh, this is what I want to do, and this is what brings me joy, and this is what makes me feel useful, and this is, as I told you, this is what allows me to put purpose to my pain, right? Um, so, um, plus it's cool to experience it through somebody else's eyes and to, you know, listening to you, especially, you know, off the top before I came on, it's, uh, it's really, it's really cool to hear other people speaking, uh, candidly and openly. And, um, because I understand how important sharing is that it is infectious. Mental illness is not contagious, but sharing is contagious. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, yeah, I love it. I, you, you keep saying all these things where I'm just like, I'm just, I love it. And I'm really looking forward to, this is the deal. I usually do my podcast Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. So you pick the day and we'll make it happen around your schedule. Uh, I want to remind people um, that because David Carlson was asking darkness and hope depression sports and me. I found it, I believe on TSN.com. I think it's still there. TSN.ca. .ca. Sorry. .ca. I, I knew that. It's still there. Uh, you know, if, uh, uh, one of the best things ever was when I, uh, like I, I produced that documentary. Right. And I went around doing publicity for it. And people would introduce me as documentary filmmaker. And I thought, holy shit, this is awesome. Think of how smart I sounded, documentary filmmaker, as opposed to, you know, the host of Off the Record, Michael Landsberg. I just thought this is like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, that was, that was a really great experience uh, because it allowed me to push the borders of my own life, right? To move into something that was, that I'd never done before. And those kind of challenges are the best way to build your self-esteem is to take chances. I'm sure when you started hockey to Helen back, you must've thought to yourself, okay, I wonder if I can do this. And then you do it and you go, hey, you know, that was okay. People liked it. It was important for people. That's how you build up confidence in yourself that can be destroyed by depression but really important. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll pick a date soon and uh, we'll do that. And I think, uh, I think you're, this, this is a really uh, very cool experience. You have, uh, you have a whole different history to you, but you and I end up in the same place, which is, you know, share for the benefit of others. Uh, and we benefit as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just before you go, I have, uh, it was called Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. I did like 70 episodes of that and then changed the name. And I think Hockey to Hell and Back resonates more with people, especially in hockey, because every hockey player and every person has essentially been to hell and back. Hopefully they get back. Some are still living in their hell, like my friend Kevin. And I got to get on the phone and figure out what's going on with him. And uh, Michael, hey, man, thank you so much. You let me know. Whenever you want to make that happen, I'll, I'm there. Uh, please, please, please say thank you to Casey. She was great. Um, corresponded rape. I wasn't expecting you to even say yes or anything. And I got an, I got an email back within like 15 minutes. And I was like, whoa, like, wow. So thank you, Casey. Uh, I will tell her that and I will, uh, I will be in touch with you. And I, I just think that, uh, if I can help you with your friend, Kevin, you know, if he needs words of encouragement, you know, words of encouragement are easy to come by and no one can encourage you to do things unless they've been there. And I haven't been there with addiction, but I've been there with probably what he's medicating himself for. And sometimes it just, you know, really helps to hear someone go, Hey, you know, I believe in you. Because wow. I believe in me and and when you have a lot in common with someone, you believe in them because you believe in you because you know you are them and you're never going to understand what I just said. It's impossible to understand uh, because I said it so quickly. But it- I heard I heard every every word of it and uh, I really appreciate uh, those kind words and I'll you know, I'm going to talk to Kevin here as soon as we get off. So Michael Landsberg, uh, producer, filmmaker and <laughs> Former host of Off the Record, you catch Michael on TSN Radio, 5 a.m. That's early. That's early. At Hey Landsberg on Twitter. And uh, um, if you want to chat, michael.landsberg at sicknutweek.com. It's my email address, and that's the right one. So, you know, I'm I'm here because uh, because I want to be. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thanks. I'm going to get those up for everybody, and thanks again. Have an awesome Sunday night. Thank you again to Casey. Talk to you soon. See ya. Wow. How awesome was that? Uh, Thank you to Michael Landsberg. Greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Huge fan. I was trying not to fan out, but I think, you know, a lot of people, I got so many messages this past week. uh, People couldn't even believe he was coming on my show. And more than ever, I've had a lot of big names in the hockey community come on my show and none garnered more attention than Michael Landsberg. Shout out to Dan Spence down there in Aurelia, a former pro goalie, played against him in the Western League. He was really excited about Michael coming on. Uh, before I go, I'm going to grab this jersey that I'm, I don't even want to grab. I'm going to leave it in there, actually. I don't want to get it dirty. Uh, the Doug Gilmore jersey is available for auction. The current high bid I last checked was $350 and I got a message from Kevin's mom. We're going to figure this out. We are not giving up on Kevin Kerbison. There is no giving up on Kevin Kerbison. Not a chance in hell. Anybody else wants to give up on him? Go ahead because I will never give up on him. He needs people to fight for him, to encourage him. My understanding of it is that he went to get a drink. He pushed it a little bit too late to get to the gate. They shut the door. His bags were checked, everything. I talked to his mom and I need to call her again. And uh, please, 
Let's not give up on Kevin. If I have to go out to BC and pick him up myself, I told you I would. I'm a man of my word. So stay tuned for the final details. Thank you to Darren Bruff down there in Etobicoke. He donated a Daryl Sittler picture, which is right here. We're going to auction this off uh, for Kevin's treatment for puck support. And I don't even want to say if Kevin doesn't go to treatment, but if that's the case, all the money is going to stay in the mental health and addiction fund, but, or it's going to go to me going to BC and getting him to treatment. I'm, I told you guys, I'm not giving up on him. I don't give up on my friends, my teammates, my family. I don't give up on anybody. I don't give up on anybody. There's a lot to digest there, uh, this episode. And I do want to say... Hello to Waz and Tio Stacy out there in Quebec in treatment. Stay strong, brother. Uh, I'm proud of you. Uh, I don't know you. I haven't met you in person, just through phone calls and texts. He's going to come on the podcast and share his story of how addiction almost killed him and how he took the steps to get himself into treatment. And we're going to remain friends for the rest of our lives. So, Waz, keep up the good work. Hello, once again. To all the U15 girls, the Gan Royals, Gananakwe Royals, going to go through the list. Thank you for staying with me till the end. The captain of the Gananakwe Royals under 15 team is Caden Moorhead. Hello, Caden. Hello to the assistant captains, Alexis O'Connor, Haley Pinkney, nicknamed Pink. Hey, Pink. Uh, Gracie McShane. Ella Murphy, Kaylee Harding, Hardy, how are you? Signed picture I sent to you. Hope you're well. I believe that was you. Um, Kaylee Chason, Chaser, how are you? Liz McBride, who they call Dizzy, how are you? Karen Thomas, Tomaz Thomas. I hope I'm saying that right, Karen. If I'm not, make sure I know so I can get it right the next time. I don't like doing that. So, um, hello, Kara. Hannah Tullock, 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 Hannah, make sure I know too. I'm just having fun now. Hello, Hannah. Um, Sadie Humphreys and Bella Napo. Hello to all the Gananakwe U15 Royals. Thank you for watching. Thank you for supporting. Look, I could get teary-eyed just talking about that because just knowing that the younger generation uh, is watching, listening, uh, it it means the world to me and my mission, our mission here at Puck Support. We're striving, we're striving to make a change in the hockey community. And in case anybody didn't see it on the website, we do have our mission and vision statement up there. It goes like this, our mission. We strive to raise awareness and end the stigma surrounding the hard-hitting topics of mental health and addiction. We are dedicated in seeking change and providing support for all those connected with the game of hockey. Our vision is this. Puck Support is committed to providing a holistic foundation of support for those affected by mental health and addictions in the hockey world. 
We seek to provide programs, counseling, mentoring, and other tailored options to bring aid to players, coaches, and families. We are driven by a passion to empower the hockey community to not only make the best decisions for their hockey careers, but more importantly, their lives outside of hockey. So check it out, guys. PuckSupport.com. If you want to get any of this swag, use promo code never forget. You're going to get 20, 10% off. Sorry. All of our long sleeves are still on sale until tomorrow. Use promo code long sleeve. It's going to get you 20% off. All the long sleeves. All of our youth swag on sale till tomorrow. Use promo code youth. Going to get you 20% off. Save you guys some money while supporting mental health and addiction in hockey. And also looking pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I do like this stuff. I wouldn't wear it if I didn't like it. I, I, I just wouldn't. I love this new hat. Red and white hat. Canada colors slash Detroit Red Wings. In case you're just joining and you didn't know, we put names in all of our clothing. Big Bob in my hat. Hard-hitting issues. If you're struggling, reach out for help. Please reach out for help. There's a button on there. You can get support now. Set up an appointment with Sandra Murray, our executive director of mental health and addiction, and a good friend of mine these days. Sandra, thank you for all your support. Hello to Nathan Weave in Saskatchewan, um, doing a lot of amazing stuff for us. If you need some prayer or some peace in your life, join us Thursday morning. Uh, 10 a.m. Eastern. The link is on our Facebook page. Thank you to Nathan. He helped uh, put together our vision and mission statement. Him and I spent an hour and a half, two hours on the phone the other night going through structuring. How are we going to do all this? What are our what are our goals here? What's our vision? And we've uh, we brought it all together and it's starting to feel really good. And I'm excited for what the future holds. I am going to give away a couple rolls of pride tape, uh, compliments of all the people at pridetape.com. My good friend, Jeff, reach out to Aubrey, Aubrey at pridetape.com. Make sure you search them on Instagram at pridetape, pridetape.com. Shout out to Curtis Gabriel as always. So goes like this. Who can tell me for the first roll? Just throw it up in the comments. Or if you want, you can call me. I don't know. Maybe we'll try calling on this one. We'll bring, I like to bring people into the show. There's my phone number. Who can tell me who's behind me? There's a couple of them, but who did we feature at the beginning of the show? Um, in the never forget picture above me on my head. If you can tell me who that is, give my phone a call. If not, that's cool too. If my phone's going to stay on. Oh, my friend, my good friend, Will McIntyre calling in. Hello. Hold on one sec there, Will. Will. Will, what's going on, buddy? Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, who's behind me in the picture, Will? It's Rippin'. 
You got it, buddy. I'm gonna send it to, uh, send it out with that hoodie that I'm sending you too. And hey, shout out to all the girls there uh, in Gananoque. Thanks for sending me the list and and thank you for all your support, Will. I I truly truly appreciate it. Um, you know what? I'm just gonna send you both of these rolls. Make it nice and simple. Um, David Carlson was our winner on the last episode. David, yours is coming. So check your mail, David, because something special is coming to you. Will, thank you for all that you do. And while you're on the phone, thank you for uh, donating those great pictures. Um, you know, I know things are looking a little grim right now for Kevin and, and the situation, but I can assure everybody that I'm not giving up. Uh, and I hope everybody else isn't giving up too. No, man, we'll get him here. I believe so too. Okay, Will, thanks so much for your support, man, and, and all that you do. And uh, I love you, brother. Love you too, bro. Okay, we'll talk thanks, soon, man. man. You bet. Everyone. Bye. Awesome. I love it when we can do that. There was one more phone call. I didn't see the number coming in. And uh, Will's a, a great supporter of the show and love it. I just love it. Um, what else? There's one more thing that I needed to say before we go. Um, Sean Horswell calling. You know what? I'm going to take the call anyways. Sean. I am blown away by you, man. You're live. You know that, right? No. Yep. You're on the show. <laughs> Welcome to Hockey to Hell and Back. Sean Horswell. How's it going, brother? I, I, I'm just so impressed. And, and, and the good that you do for everyone is, is like impressive. Like we go back a year now, probably right. Like pretty yeah. close to it. And, and, um, I am just so, so impressed by you. You, you're, you're the man. Nah, I don't you, know and, if I'm the man, but thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, every every little thing you do for people means a lot, and uh, including me. And uh, like I said, I, I you know, I, I I'm in charge of a big company, and I uh, and I'm impressed. I am impressed. So keep doing what you're doing. Love you, brother. Love you too, and, man. Uh, hey, and listen, don't be a stranger. We haven't chatted for quite some time, so I'm here if you need me, eh? Yeah, well, I'm 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 going to take you up on that. So that's good too. So Please tonight do. was like impressive, brother. Please, tonight do. was impressive. Thank you, All Sean. Right. Thank you, Sean. Take care of yourself. We'll talk very soon. I hope. Very soon, for sure. Take care. Okay, buddy. Bye. Okay. Bye, bye. I love this, and do you know why I can do that? Because I have a Rodecaster Pro. I'm going to lift my computer up and show you guys, in case you don't know. But I have a Rodecaster Pro, and so the reason why I have that Rodecaster Pro uh, is for a couple reasons. But Sean Horswell is the one that made that happen. He was able to order it on his credit card when I didn't have, um, it was early, it was a while ago. I didn't have a credit card. I still don't really have a credit card. I got a Visa prepaid, or not a, a Visa debit. I don't have no credit card, but he stepped up and allowed me to use his credit card uh, and put his money up before I even had the money to pay for it. So Sean, thank you so much. Uh, I'm very, very grateful. Thank you to everybody who watched the show. Special thank you to Michael Landsberg. Can you believe he wants to interview me on my own show? It's kind of funny, uh, but it's gonna be great. It's, uh, it's gonna be good. I mean, the guy's a pro. The guy is the guy. He's the... He's Canadian's 
best interviewer as far as I'm concerned off the record how many people watch that unbelievable Jesse Tucker what's going on Jess shout out to you and I hope um, you know I talk to Jess all the time hello Jesse going through a bit of a tough time hang in there my friend you know what you need to do you know what you need to do I'm here for you every step of the way as well so uh, you know what you need to do man pucksupport.com promo code never forget gonna get you 10% off and don't forget about all of our youth stuff promo code youth 20% off that's right and it's going to a great cause everybody keep Kevin Kerbison in your thoughts in your prayers we are not giving up on him. Hello to Taylor and the kids up in Utterson. Susan Cook upstairs. Thank you for all that you do. Seriously. Seriously. Could not be doing any of this um, without a lot of people. Um, you're certainly one of them. And happy birthday to Johan, who's also upstairs, turned 37 today. Happy birthday, Johan. I know it was a quiet day for you on your birthday, but all the best in this next year. And it's been a great pleasure getting to know you over these last couple of days and uh, look forward to developing that friendship and see where all of this is going to take us. So, Johan, happy birthday. Hello to all my family back there in, I'm going to cry, in BC. I miss you guys. I love you. Dad, mom. I love you guys. Brooklyn and Brody. That's why I'm crying, really. Um, it's Brooklyn's birthday in three days. She's going to be 13 years old on St. Patrick's Day. Happy birthday, Brooklyn. I love you. I think about you every second. Virtually every second of the day, I think about you guys, and uh, I miss you to pieces. Seriously, it's just, yeah, I'm just going to stop talking. I'll never give up. I will never give up trying to be a part of your guys' lives. I love you guys so much. Um, quick shout out to my cousin, Rachel, down in Australia. I can't really talk about it, but uh, some big news coming in uh, to the family. Hello to my auntie, Lee, my uncle, or her parents. Big news coming in. I'm going to keep it quiet. But hello, Rachel, down in Australia. I love you um, lots. Spencer and Adam, same with you guys. Miss you all so much. It's uh, There's no words. Um there was one more thing, but you know what? Oh, I got it. I got it. Darcy Rhoda, former Canuck great and a friend of mine, a guy who wanted to come see me in jail when I was in jail in BC and a guy who took me out for breakfast two days after being released from jail. Nobody else was talking to me. Nobody, really. My family was barely talking to me. Darcy Rhoda, former Canuck, he took me out for breakfast. He was the general manager and owner of the Burnaby Express when I was there. We're going to bring him on. He's going to tell you guys all about how it was a disaster, um, probably when I played for Burnaby, but what he saw in me as a hockey player and as a guy, and uh, we'll talk about his career and, and how he's remained on such a great path, and he's such a great individual. So hello to Darcy Rhoda out there in Coquitlam, British Columbia. I can't wait to connect with you. Rod Peterson's going to join the show. Hopefully Kelly Rudy soon. We couldn't make it happen. Jordy Ben. These are all things coming down the line. Be kind. Be grateful. And remember, have a great day if you so choose.
Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Performance Wellness. The collaboration between First Star Therapy and MindFrame brings a flexible, holistic program to athletes. The goal is to empower and enhance every athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through focus on intentful movement and mindful practices. You can contact them at consult at firststartherapy.com and team at mindframe.info. Plus, you can check them out on the web at firststartherapy.com and follow First Star on Instagram at firststar.therapy and at mindframe on Twitter plus mindframefit on Instagram.